Is your church data safe and secure? What are the top risks and how can you be protected? Informing, encouraging, and supporting your church. You're listening to the Excellence in Church Administration podcast from ECFA. Hi, this is Michael Martin, and welcome back to another Excellence in Church Administration podcast from ECFA. Well, in today's podcast, we are focused on the importance of securing and protecting your church data. So we all know that we are blessed to live today in this digital world where there are so many expanded opportunities for ministry. But also, as we know, this doesn't come without its challenges, and churches aren't exempt from some of these potential areas of risk. Well, anyone who knows me can testify I am not the expert on technology. And so that's why for today's conversation, we're so thankful to have our good friend Nick Nicolau with us. Nick is the president of MBS, a trusted IT consulting, engineering, hosting, and support team that serves Christian churches and ministries nationwide. He and his team have been serving the church for more than 30 years, and Nick is a good friend of ECFA. He's a past member of the ECFA Standards Committee. He's been published hundreds of times in journals and books, and he speaks at many regional and national conferences where we're always so grateful to get to see him on the road. So, Nick, it's great to get to have you with us today on the podcast. Well, thank you, Michael. It's uh, great to be with you guys. You know what a strong cheerleader I am for ECFA, so it's great to be able to help out. Awesome. Well, we need your help today. As I mentioned in the introduction, I am not the expert when it comes to technology, but um, just thinking about the importance of this topic of securing and protecting data is something that we seems like we're seeing more and more in the headlines and um, churches. Again, they're not immune from some of these risks. So as we've talked, I think we figured out there's so much here that we're going to break this up into a couple of parts, a part one and a part two, but maybe just get us started here with uh, the beginning. Why is this an important topic? Well, that's a great question. Uh, there are probably three reasons, and we'll go into the more in detail as we go on this morning. But uh, one is the nature of our data. Church data has a lot of um, sensitive data, and the value of our church data is something that most people don't realize up front. Uh, we'll cover that too. And then the vulnerability because of uh, the way we do ministry and who we do ministry with and for. All those add to why this is such an important topic. Basically, the church is vulnerable and there are easy ways to shore that up. No, that's a super helpful summary. So the nature of data its value and churches being vulnerable. Now, uh, as we talked about too in the introduction, you're a humble guy, but I'll say I know for a fact that you've worked with many, many churches and ministries over the years. So in your experience, and now we only take honest answers on the podcast. So in your experience, <laughs> do you think churches, I mean, are we doing a good job in this area? You know, is there something more that we can be doing when it comes to protecting our data? Well, a small percentage of churches do a good job, but unfortunately, it's only a small percentage. Uh, when we think about who lead churches, uh, they're not typically people who are who are schooled in this area. And so it's easy for them to not recognize the, the need for it. So they just don't understand the threat. And appropriately, churches prefer to focus as much of their budget as possible on programming 
IT is more of an overhead kind of an item. Gotcha. So I think you're being kind and saying that we're not doing the best job <laughs> that we could be doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so trying to be gracious here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, with that being said, maybe you can take us to what are some ways, uh, and like you said, folks that are leading churches, I mean, they're appropriately focused on some other things, uh, ministry minded and all. What are some easy uh, ways or some maybe some reasonable steps that churches can start taking today, those who are listening on the podcast, to better? secure that data that they have? Well, let's start with understanding the need to secure and protect it. I think that's an important first step, and it's free. There you go. Uh, Doing so will help give appropriate priority to the next steps. Uh, The first point I'd like to mention is that church data is very vulnerable. The issue here is that hackers don't have a clue of the extent of our valuable data. Uh, We have more than just contact information. We have uh, contributions data, and we encourage congregants to vulnerably share their data with us. And our congregants include all demographic statuses. Uh, We have employee social security number, family structure data, including names, ages, and often the school names of our children. That data would be a pedophile's dream. Um. There was a a large church in Texas that called us in to uh, clean up a mess. And the mess was that their previous IT vendor realized the value of the data they had in their church management database and copied it and then marketed it as a rental list. Wow. I'm sure the church sued them. I'm sure there was a cease and desist and all that kind of stuff. But there's a high value on the data that we carry. I have a capable friend who says that if he wasn't a Bible-believing Christ follower, he would sit in his basement and hack into church systems nationwide, just grabbing their data to sell. And he could do it. (laughs) And so could most hackers. I'm uh, I'm a minor level hacker. I could do it. And our team members don't often understand the need to protect our systems and data. Many have what uh, some refer to as a Google mentality, which is, why shouldn't the data just be public? Well, many of these use mobile devices like notebook computers and tablets and smartphones. And they often include a lot of sensitive church information in contacts and documents and spreadsheets and shortcuts to our databases. Sometimes those shortcuts might even have their password credentials embedded in them. Hmm. They're often uh, allowed to sit in the open, like at Starbucks. And when getting uh, those devices are often allowed to sit in the open, like at Starbucks, when getting a refill or taking a restroom break. In fact, that same capable friend told me that he was sitting in Starbucks and a lady he had never met before turned to him and said, I have to use the restroom. Would you watch my computer for me? (laughs) (laughs) Better be careful who you ask that question. (laughs) Yeah, he could have just picked it up and walked out. (laughs) Uh, And often data on these devices is not well password protected. So how much is your data, your church's data, worth on the dark web? It's kind of surprising. Social security number is worth $30. A date of birth is worth $11. 
Visa or MasterCard credentials, we're careful to protect those, but really they're only worth four bucks. Hmm. A bank account and routing number, think about paying people, vendors, and others with ACH. That's worth $12. And a full identity kit, they actually spell that K-I-T-Z, uh, is worth anywhere from $1,200 to $1,300. So if you think about your church database and the number of records you have in your church database, how much is it worth? It's worth a lot of money on the dark web. So there's motivation for hackers to try and grab hold of it. The blessing is they don't realize what we have. They may think we only have contact information. They don't realize how deep and how broad our data is. There's also other sensitive data. Uh, HR information, salaries and disciplinary details and board discussion information. Uh, maybe uh, your board is working through Matthew 18 on a member discipline issue. Uh, that's all valuable data, sensitive data. And it's important that um, that it be well protected. No, that's a good point. And I won't get us too far off track here, but that, that is a good chance to mention, you know, ECFA, you talked about the board and just confidentiality with the ECFA's 40th anniversary this year and the year of excellence in governance. I think um, we probably sent you a copy of the new lessons from the church boardroom book where we talk about appropriate transparency, but that really does tie into today's topic because without that data being protected, I guess we don't have to worry too much about transparency, do we? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. And I did get a copy of that book and it's terrific. Oh, well, thank you. So, all right. Well, picking up where we left off there, um, what else can you tell us, Nick? Well, I think once we recognize the value and vulnerability of church data, that's the first step to protecting it. Um, imagine the impact it would have on your ministry if that data was compromised, if you had a data breach. And there's all sorts of uh, probable legal considerations about how you would manage that in its aftermath. But the bad thing is a data breach uh, is a break in trust. And it's very hard to re-earn that trust to some people. So some common scenarios that increase the sense of data you might have stored. Maybe I work for your church and I'm about to be terminated for cause because I did something wrong. Or maybe I'm that church member who you're uh, talking about at the board level doing some Matthew 18 uh, discipline. And um Maybe your board is wrestling through issues about a potential lawsuit. If all that information is in documents, is in spreadsheets or Word files or uh, in some other format, if they're on your system, then those, uh, if they get out in the wild, they could cause damage. Mm. In some states, like the state of California that I live in, we have a constitutional right to privacy. And so there are lawsuits out here when data isn't well protected if somebody feels like they were harmed in some way. And think about those kids that are in the children's ministry. Uh, we've made great strides in recent years to protect them by putting in all sorts of uh, policies and rules to make sure that they're never alone with an adult, that we're screening our adults and so on. But what about protecting the data that a pedophile would love to have? 
to try and lure a child into danger. Uh, we really need to protect that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think uh, all of those things, Nick, are really helpful in painting the picture of just how important it is. Uh, I hope everybody really is sensing that uh, based on everything that you've said and and really the, the fact that we have a responsibility to do something about it. So in all of your work that you've done, Nick, and in, in, uh, consulting with so many different churches and ministries out there, what would you say are the next steps in terms of what we should be doing about it? Well, there are a number of steps that are within reasonable reach, and that's the key is at a minimum is to do what's reasonable. Not doing at least that may trigger negligence challenges. So let's address a couple of non-technical issues, and then we'll hit the technical issues in part two. Does that sound okay? That sounds good to me. And uh, like I told you, I am not the technician, so we're going to rely on you for that later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, first and probably most importantly is to realize that good IT policies are not an IT issue. They're a leadership issue. That's good. Uh, Many IT departments feel like they have to create these policies. And what we see in churches all over is that those policies often become sort of the the game challenge to overcome (laughs) and get around rather than something that people agree with and and live with. And the reason is in those churches, it's the IT department that set the policy. IT should never be the one who sets IT policy. Uh, IT should implement and enforce leadership's IT policies. And there's a number of reasons why IT does this. Uh, It often feels, people in that department often feel responsible to protect the church, sometimes even from itself. And let's face it, if they're finally taking that vacation they've been saving up for for a couple of years and they're sitting on a beach in Hawaii, the last thing they want to do is get a call from the church saying, hey, can you log in? We're having trouble. (laughs) So (laughs) that's probably ruined too many vacations, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And they're the guys that get the call. And so they want to do all they can to protect it, but sometimes they overreach. Uh, And it's better instead if they were to um, spend some time being consultative to leadership to inform them which policies are needed and and the best ways to approach it. But then let leadership fulfill its responsibility and set the policies they deem important. There's some real freedom there, too. Uh, If the leadership team says, okay, uh, you've given us some great ideas. We've decided we're only going to do this. And the IT department knows that that's not enough. It's not the IT department's fault. Mm. If something happens, the IT department is able to say, I did exactly what they told me to do. And I consulted with them. And this is the decision they made. That's my responsibility to implement and enforce what they tell me to do. And this is a proper alignment for how this should work in a church. No, that's good. And maybe if I could just piggyback on that and maybe ask a a follow-up question, Nick, just kind of going back into your memory banks and your war stories. But um, you made a good point here that this this is a leadership issue. So as you've worked with other churches, um, how have you seen maybe somebody in IT or church administration um, successfully 
um, I don't know if convince is the right word, but help leadership understand just how important this issue is, how important it is that they develop policies, maybe other than sharing this podcast with them. (laughs) What are some other ways that you've seen um, folks be able to elevate this well so that leadership cares? We, you know, we talked about governance and the importance of leadership. How do we get leadership on board with how important it is and, and get empower them to act? That's a great question, Michael. It's a, it's one that's so challenging because most often what happens when IT approaches leadership and says, hey, I think we need to do thus and such, and here's what the budget will be, uh, because it, IT is an overhead kind of an item, it usually doesn't get implemented. Mm. A friend of mine likes to say that uh, when that happens, it's perfectly fine with him because leadership made the decision. He likes to have it in writing, but it's perfectly fine with him. And then when the, when the problem happens, he says, suddenly money rains from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it suddenly uh, frees up, huh? Oh, yeah. man. So wow. I think, I think it's uh, dependent on two things. One is that leadership be open to hear what IT has to say. And the second is that IT doesn't cry wolf. Mm. So that when IT says, hey, this is an issue and we probably ought to address it, here's here's a couple, two or three options I recommend for how we might address it, uh, and then does whatever our leadership says. Um, leadership, if they're open to IT's consultation and make a good decision, great. If IT doesn't come to them with too many little things that really don't need their attention, that's a good thing. That way, if there is an issue resulting from a poor leadership decision, IT, if they don't say, I told you so, if they're reasonable in their response, leadership will begin to trust them. So I think this is a relational issue that develops over time. Wow. Yeah, those are some good insights. Thanks for sharing that. And if I can just dig into maybe one more thing here, and that is, mm-hmm. uh, so let's say leadership is convinced that there's you know something we need to do. You talked about those policies. Can you name maybe just two or three of those that you know leadership should really be looking at in terms of setting the right kind of policies? Certainly. One would be uh, password policies. How complex should passwords need to be? And um, who needs to have passwords? A lot of churches will set up shared accounts with simple passwords for volunteers to share. And that's not a good idea. There's no accountability there. Each user to the system should have uh, a login account and a hard password. And um, what about on-site and off-site access policies. Uh, Certainly, staff needs access on-site. Does all of staff need access to data when they're off-site? Those are things that can be uh, managed and controlled by IT, but leadership needs to determine who needs to have access off-site. It's good when somebody says, yes, I need to to be able to get this data when I'm off-site, for leadership to say why, or for the IT department to say why, and then let them build the case and leadership give them approval. It's not IT's job to approve those. It's their supervisors. It's leadership's role. 
Physical access policies, likewise, leadership should probably uh, set a policy that says the server in any of the server room and any wiring closets should be under lock and key. They're not storage closets. They're not something that anybody should have access to. In the IT world, we joke about a lot of things. And one of the things we joke about <laughs> is sure. that we could probably put on some brown shorts and a brown shirt and walk into just about any church office. And when the receptionist says, can I help you? Say, yep, I'm here to pick up your server. And they'd say, okay, go run on through. Mm, yep. <laughs> I'm sure. And if that server room isn't locked, uh, they could just pick it up and walk out. Uh, and, and maybe one more that I would mention is that leadership should set the personnel policies that include IT functions in onboarding and offboarding staff. Uh, we, again, joke all the time about how uh, in IT we get word that uh, we've got a new hire and they need a computer. And by the way, they started at 8 this morning. <laughs> I bet that, ne so that never a, happens. Right. <laughs> so we need better, or I should say, we need good onboarding IT policies and we need good offboarding IT policies. When somebody is terminated, whether it's um, it's uh, at the request of the individual or the church. There should be policies that state what involved uh, or how IT is involved in that regaining their computer. How long is their mail email going to be available? Uh, how do they access their email for that time period and so on? Good. No, that's a really helpful in terms of just as leadership is thinking through these things. What are some of the policies that we need to have. Speaking of action steps after listening to this podcast, so Nick, that's that's really good. And this whole time has been really helpful, I think, in getting us started on this topic. And we've even laughed along the way, which is good. We've enjoyed ourselves. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into this even more uh, practical steps with you in part two. But before we let you go, I know that as we go to record this podcast, you are getting ready to release uh, another brand new book, and that's published with Christianity today called Church IT, Using Information Technology for the Mission of the Church. So tell us a little bit about that book, Nick. How can folks be looking for this resource? Uh, thank you so much for that, Michael. It's a book that's written to help those who are in leadership over IT. It's not overly technical, it's strategic. And it's also intended to help those who are in church IT to understand the nuances that are unique to doing IT in the church environment. I'll have on my website, which is www.mbsinc, like Mary Baker Sam Incorporated.com, a link to it when it comes out. I think the uh, I think the pre-order page is up, and the book will soon be available for delivery. 
Fantastic. Well, hey, I do encourage everyone who's listening to check that out. And Nick, I would, I'll brag on you a little bit and I will affirm that, that you have a gift for taking even some of these things that are technical and, um, you know, writing about them, speaking about them in ways that, you know, leadership that don't have that same IT background can, you know, really get a lot of great benefit from. So we appreciate that. We appreciate all the great work that you're doing. And as we close out today's podcast, I also want to thank everyone for taking the time out of your busy lives and schedules to uh, join us again today. We so appreciate it and want to encourage you to join us next time as we sit down with Nick for part two on church data security and protection. So in the meantime, you can also check out the hundreds of other great resources from ECFA on our website at ecfa.church. And we look forward to being with you again soon for another Excellence in Church Administration podcast. Thank you.